Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jake Millison and Kennedy Eif. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we focus on the unusual disappearance of Jake Millison and the mysterious death of Kennedy Eif. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number 1. Jake Millison to many of his friends, Jake Millison wasn't the kind of person who simply skipped town like his family insisted he did. The 29-year-old lived at the 7-Eleven Ranch in Colorado in the small town of Gunnison. He first lived there with his mother, Deb. Later on, he was joined by his sister, Stephanie, and her husband, Dave Jackson. After Jake and Stephanie's parents divorced when Jake was just six years old, his mother remarried Rudy Rudabaugh, a war veteran who bought the 7-Eleven ranch and created a successful hunting business there. Both Jake and Stephanie were homeschooled and helped in handling the ranch. It wasn't until high school that Jake got his first taste of public school. This was also the time when he met and found a solid group of friends. After high school, he stayed at the ranch while his friends moved into apartments around town. Among his friends, Jake was known for being upfront about things and also reliable. When Rudy died in 2009, Stephanie received a $30,000 inheritance while Jake and his stepbrother Shane, Rudy's son from a first marriage, didn't receive money but were expected to inherit the ranch. Later on, Jake lived and handled all the work needed on the estate, even though he didn't like it and seemed uninterested in inheriting it. For whatever reason, he was unwilling to walk away from the ranch. His mother, Deb, was never happy with how Jake handled the property and often blamed him for its decline. 
the two are at each other's throats most of the time because of it. In 2012, Stephanie and her husband Dave moved back into the ranch. Jake and Steph never got along either, but they mostly just avoided each other. However, there was always obvious friction between Jake and Dave. At one point, Jake filed an order of protection against his brother-in-law. A few days later, he withdrew that application, but the animosity between the two men remained. Steph said it got so bad that they had to rent an apartment in town, which made her furious. She even posted on a website online, Moms.com, in 2014, saying her younger brother was ruining her life. She also asked how she could convince her mother that having her son, Jake, there and controlling her and her property was unhealthy. On May 13, 2015, Steph randomly messaged a friend on Facebook posting a question stating, Have you ever been woken up with such awesome news you wanted to run outside screaming? Her friend replied, No more Jake? By May 20, 2015, two of Jake's friends visited the ranch looking for him. It had been five days since anyone last saw him and they wondered where he was. His friends Nate Lopez and Randy Martinez could see his truck and motorcycles, including his dog Elmo, but Jake was nowhere in sight. They asked his mother and she told them he had gone to Reno, Nevada to train at a mixed martial arts gym. She added he's not replying to text messages because he dropped his phone in an irrigation ditch and left it behind. Well, they found the explanation odd. Since they knew Jake would never take off without telling anyone, it seemed logical enough. Days passed and still no word from Jake. His friend stopped by the ranch a couple more times and Deb just said she'll let them know once he's back. A week later, they finally told a patrol sergeant something was off. Gunnison County Patrol Officer Mark Mickle checked and Deb said Jake took off with a friend she didn't know. She added this wasn't the first time he had vanished and the officer noted she was irritated. At his friend's insistence, the officer followed up a week later. Deb changed her story this time and told the officer she argued with her son. Soon after, he got equipment, cash, a gun, and got into a car with another person and left for either Nevada or California, she guessed. But Jake's friends couldn't believe her story because to them, she was describing a different person from the Jake that they knew. Despite their pleadings, the officials in Gunnison County didn't think much of Jake suddenly vanishing. The friends took matters into their own hands then and decided to go look for their friend. It wasn't long before little clues began to surface that made them more suspicious of Jake's family. Dave Jackson, Jake's brother-in-law, was seen in town driving Jake's 1976 Harley Sportster, albeit with a new paint job and gas tank. To Jake's friends, they knew Dave was the last person he would ever want riding his bike, let alone allowing him to modify it. Then his friends also found out two of Jake's other motorcycles were for sale at a used bike shop. They checked the titles and found they both had Jake's and Deb's signatures. To one of his friend's eyes, he could tell Jake's signature was forged and had the same handwriting as that of Deb's. They were confused why his family would sell off his stuff if they expected him to return. Three months after Jake was last seen, Deb Rudabaugh finally filed a missing report case for her son at the insistence of Jake's friends. She reasoned he probably got mixed up with a bad crowd and is in hiding or in witness protection. A friend of Jake's created a Facebook page titled, Where is Jake Millicent? 
He had photos of Jake on his bike during a trip and asked people if they had seen him or had any information that they thought would be useful. That's when more information came trickling in. One person said he saw Deb, Steph, and Dave burning Jake's mattress just days after he went missing. Then another said Dave Jackson changed his profile photo where he posed on one of Jake's bikes days after he went missing. Soon police figured there might be something more to Jake Millicent's disappearance and decided to look into it. For two years, the case stalled, though, and Jake's friends tried their best to move on. Deep down, they felt that he was dead, but without a body and without knowing for sure, they were in limbo. The local Gunnison County Sheriff said they were working hard on Jake's case, but they couldn't just march on to the ranch. Plus, they only had one investigator for the entire county, which made it difficult to investigate. In 2017, they finally asked for help from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, the CBI. Soon after, on July 17, 2017, official cars swamped the 7-Eleven ranch as search teams and dogs looked for clues. They were acting on a tip that bones were seen on the ranch, and a family had made the excuse they were animal bones. They informed the tipster to also not say anything to anyone. After the official search, officers uncovered a body. It was wrapped in a tarp and buried underneath a manure pile in a corral. It was later confirmed to be that of Jake Millison. Because his body was found on the ranch, investigators knew either Deb, Steph, or Dave were responsible. All three were questioned separately several times. Investigators also discovered more possible reasons for the killing. Turns out at one point, Dave favored Jake, but later on, at the egging of Steph, Deb had a change of heart. This was shown in her will when three weeks prior to Jake disappearing, she changed it and left everything to Steph. Jake wouldn't receive a single thing. After further questioning, Deb said it was her that killed Jake. That after asking him to do an errand and he left it unfinished, it was the last straw for her. She got home after her nursing shift, waited for her son to sleep, and then grabbed a shotgun and shot him in the head. She then claimed to dispose of the body on her own. To police, this seemed impossible. Deb was a frail woman, weighing just 70 pounds, who had been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Then, just days before, she had undergone gallbladder surgery. To think she would be able to carry Jake's body all alone and bury it, even with the aid of equipment, is almost impossible. However, Deb insisted that Steph and Dave had nothing to do with it. For investigators, Deb had nothing to gain by killing her son. Stephanie, however, would inherit the ranch, so she had a motive. Dave, meanwhile, had animosity towards Jake and was suspected of helping cover up the crime. According to his friends, Jake once said, if anything happened to him, it would be Dave that did it. Soon after her confession, Deb Rudabaugh was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. She was arrested a day after her daughter, Stephanie, was taken in for the same charges. Dave Jackson, Stephanie's husband, was also arrested on charges of being an accessory to murder, and the case is still ongoing. Number 2. Kennedy Eif It was August of 2016 when 26-year-old Kennedy Ife began acting weird. His family, who were deeply religious, believed Kennedy was possessed by evil spirits, so they decided to cure him. The family, 
including both parents and five other sons, decided to restrain Kennedy inside their Enfield, North London mansion. Apparently, his unusual behavior started on August 19, 2016. According to the family, Kennedy became aggressive and bit his father. For some reason, instead of taking him to the doctors, his mother decided to seek the advice of their minister. The family decided they could cure Kennedy. So for the next three days, they proceeded to forcefully restrain him and pray over him. On August 22nd, one of his brothers, Harry, called emergency services asking for an ambulance saying his brother had been complaining of dehydration. Once emergency personnel got there, they were told Kennedy had been behaving odd for over three days, but they never mentioned or claimed he was possessed. They then explained they had to restrain him after he became very agitated. Paramedics tried to save Kennedy by lowering his body temperature and resuscitating him, but he was soon pronounced dead. At least one ambulance staff said he saw the family attempt a resurrection as they stood over Kennedy's body proclaiming him to return. According to one of the brothers, Kennedy had become aggressive and spoke about the mark of the beast 666 and for God to forgive him. Meanwhile, their mother Josephine said her son was fighting amongst himself. Police were suspicious of Kennedy's death, especially since the pathologist discovered signs he was forcefully restrained. He had over 60 injuries across his body, including one possible bite. His four brothers also suffered some minor injuries. On suspicion there was something wrong with his death, prosecutors filed charges against all seven members of the family for imprisoning and killing Kennedy for a three-day exorcism. Police searched through the family's home and found a note about the bewitching of an offspring. It outlined sprinkling earth and throwing it on the north, south, east, and west for four days. Then it said to expect an encounter. The officers also discovered a bag of black handcuffs, several cable ties and wristbands which were thrown out into a neighbor's garden on Lancaster Avenue. During the hearing, prosecutors argued that the discovered packets of cable ties reveals the intended duration of the false imprisonment had Kennedy not died. Jurors also heard the family had deep ties to their religious beliefs connected with the Jesus Sanctuary Ministries from Southeast London. In fact, during the time of Kennedy's restraint, the family had called and consulted three ministers instead of directing him to a hospital. Kennedy was restrained for 67 hours at the home mansion and treated like an animal or detainee, according to prosecutors. His father, Dr. Kenneth Ife, who was 64, also admitted he ordered his sons to take shifts and directed his sons to use overwhelming force. However, he said Kennedy's death had nothing to do with cults or the occult or even secret societies. Despite the suspicion, at the end of the trial... The jurors acquitted the family of manslaughter and false imprisonment charges and what was dubbed by many as a form of exorcism killing. So there were two of the most sinister and mysterious stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted 2s is sure to show you why. If you like this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel and consider supporting us on Patreon. We have new videos coming out every Wednesday and Saturday for you to check out. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you soon.